So before I ever knew anything about this church, God gave me a Bible verse. Before I knew anything about your history, before I knew anything about the existence of this church, before I ever met any of you at the camp, the Lord gave me this Bible verse for this church, and so therefore this is for you too. It's 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. It says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into a human heart the things that God has in store for those that love him. That's God saying, you have no idea of what I'm capable of doing. And so what I'm here tonight to talk to you about is something that kind of relates to that. But um, if, you, if you don't know me, uh, if you weren't at the camp, you might be, uh, you know, you're like, well, okay, who's, who's this guy? I was a youth pastor for 14 years, and over my life, I've been in over, well over a thousand gatherings like this, some of them small, some of them big. And I, uh, while I was a youth pastor for 14 years, I want to tell you a little bit about what happened. So uh, I was hired to be youth pastor in this church that had like 15 or 20 young people that were all from Christian families. And um, uh, so I started running this youth group. And I started trying to grow this youth group. And what was happening is we'd get our youth group together on a Sunday night and we'd, you know, we'd have, have some Bible study and some stuff like this. But then on Friday night, the young people were going out and they were doing stuff that was kind of the opposite of what I was hoping they would be doing. So I had some youth leaders and one of them got picked up drunk by the police in the gutter in East Auckland, not far from where we lived. And so that wasn't ideal. I remember another time I was driving around in my car and one of the other guys, he had this little wee car with a, with a sunroof and I'm driving through East Auckland and I see this car going really fast with one of my youth leaders hanging out the top uh, yelling and doing the fingers to everybody. And so this was the youth group that I was running. And uh, to cut a long story short, in the first... Two years that I was, uh, in the first, sorry, in the first six months that I was a youth pastor, I absolutely, totally, thoroughly burnt out. My head got screwed up, my health got screwed up, and I had to go out to Great Barrier Island to try and get myself sorted out. And so I came back and I carried on, and four months later, I was back on Great Barrier Island. And the reason is this, I was trying to achieve something in my own strength that only God could do. And there are some things that God wants to do with you as an individual and with you as a group that can only be done by his manifest, tangible, powerful presence being right here in the middle of you. So I came back from Great Barrier Island the second time and I got my whole youth group together. It had grown from about 15 to about 40, but they were still basically doing all the same things. And I got them together and I sat them down like this. And I think, I don't know, maybe there's a few more than 40 here, maybe, you know, but it was a, a few less than this. And I sat them down and I said this to them. I said, we're not gonna do any more games. I'm tired of doing games. I said, I'm gonna preach to you and we're gonna have worship. And if you don't like that, go find another youth group. And I thought none of them had come back. I was like, that's gonna be the end of it. But I didn't care because I was, I was done with mucking around. The next week, they all came back, apart from two, and they were the minister's kids, which was a little bit tricky because the minister was my boss. And so they all come back, and they're all sitting there like, okay, what are we going to do now? And I gave an altar call at the end of my message, and I invited them to all come to the front. I think a bunch of you came to the front last week. I heard about last week. 
And I gave an altar call and I decided I was going to pray for them that they would experience and know the power of God touch their lives. I didn't want them just to believe in God. I wanted them to experience God. So all these young people came out the front and I came up to the first one, a big tall guy came up to pray for him. And he's standing here like this and I walked up and I put my hand up here on his forehead and I closed my eyes and I began to pray for him. And someone had to come and tapped me on the shoulder and I opened my eyes and the guy was flat on the floor. And I'm like, oh, I'd never seen that before. So I'm like, right, went to pray for the next one. And I put my hand on his head like this. Oh, you're a her, not a he. But I put my hand on his head and he just started weeping. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And then he just crumpled and fell on the floor too. And I'm starting to think, oh, and there's a, few, there's a few there that are skeptical and they're looking and they're going, whoa, what's happening up the front there as God began to move? Now, how many of you remember, who was, who was here last week? Okay, you saw how many people were here at that combined youth group, right? What happened over the next two years is that little group began to relentlessly grow until our one youth group, was about the size of what you had here last week, but they were turning up every single week. Every week we were having worship and people were lifting their hands and pouring their hearts out to God, not because, not because there was a peer pressure to do it, but because something had grabbed their hearts. They were laughing their heads off. They, I mean, they were, they were absolute Bat crap, crazy, nutty young people, but they had fallen in love with Jesus and they were addicted to his presence and they were seeing the power of God move. I remember I was standing in the kitchen. There was a little kitchen and I was standing in the kitchen and I was listening to one of my young fellas who had invited his mate to come along. And his mate was really, you know, he was all pretty excited about the occult and he was talking about, oh, you know, we go and we, you know, we read the tarot cards and all this sort of stuff. And my, uh, my young fella, I heard him say, oh, mate, that's nothing. You wait until you see what happens when we go in there, when God begins to move. Here's something that I've noticed. So the first time I talked to a group like you guys, I was 18 years old. I'm 55 and I'm a grandfather now. The first, what I've, what I've noticed over all that time is that surface level things change. Things on the surface, like, like fashion, fashion changes. Like I see, I see, uh, I remember the first time I took my daughter to America and she wanted to buy some jeans and she came out of the changing room to show me these jeans that had rips in them. And I'm looking at her going, what are you doing with those on? There's something wrong with them. They're ripped, you can't buy those. And then I was horrified to find out that you pay extra for the rips. You know, and so jeans, you know, jeans went from being like super baggy and people were sort of walking around in their jeans like this and then they became like real skinny and then they got holes ripped in them or mobile phones. Do you know my first mobile phone, I lined up at four o'clock in the morning to get it and I'm not joking, it was that long. You had to screw the aerial off the top to put it in your bag. It was that long and it weighed three kilograms. Now, you know, we put these little iPhones or Androids or whatever in it. This thing was this big. And you know what it could do? Nothing. All it, well, you, could do, you couldn't even do text messages back then. Those didn't exist. All you could do is make phone calls, but they were so expensive, you didn't ever use it. 
So I used to carry this great big thing around. I remember one time I was driving in my car and it rang. I, I nearly drove off the road. I was like, what's happening? There's ringing in my car. Surface level things change, but you know what doesn't change? Deeper level things. Whether you've got this great big mobile phone or whether you've got the fanciest little latest device, we still look up at the stars at night and go, whoa. Whether you're wearing hyper big baggy jeans or super skinny ones or whatever the trend or fashion is, we still want to know why we're here. In, uh, in my job, I do quite a lot of traveling. And I used to go to Perth quite a lot. And one time I was going to Perth and I got on the plane in Auckland to fly to Perth and I sat down and I was, I was in the window seat. I was in economy class and I'm in the window seat and there's a lady here and she's in the aisle seat. And so we sit down on the plane. It's about a seven hour flight. And I thought, right, I'm going to talk to her about Jesus. And she made it very clear she didn't want to do that. She told me basically to leave her alone and to stop talking to her about religious things. So I was like, righto, okay. So I'm sitting there. We eat our meal. It's all kind of a little bit, you know. And then I put my noise-canceling headphones on to try and have a sleep. And I'm, I'm, I'm there like this, and I'm leaning against the wall, and she does this. She reaches over, and she tugs my shirt. And I open my eye, and I pop one headphone off, and she looks at me and she says, do you believe that God heals people? And I said, yes, I do. She said, why do you believe that? I said, because I've got a sister that's alive today because Jesus healed her of terminal cancer. And she looked at me and she says, I have cancer, will you pray for me? So we're sitting there on the plane and this is how, you know, you like, you have to put your arm out like this because you're in economy class. And I put my hand like this. This is what she did. Not one word of exaggeration. She's sitting there in the seat and she just goes like this. She just goes, oh, and puts her head down. And so I'm praying for her and she's sitting there like this. The tray is still there with the leftovers of lunch on it. And I start praying for her. And as I pray for her, I notice tears are beginning to drop onto the tray table. And I'm like, Whoa, what's happening here? So I'm praying for her like this, and she's sitting there like this. The steward comes and takes the tray away and is looking at me like, is everything okay here? Yeah, yeah, we're fine. Just, I don't know what's going on. She's, she's crying. It's, you know, nothing. You know, she's just, I don't know. She's just crying. After I finished praying for her, I put my hand back, and she just sits there like this for about 10 minutes with tears dropping onto the tray table. Finally, she opens her eyes and all her makeup is no longer on her face. It's all on her chin. She's just got this ball of makeup here and stripes all down her face. And she looks at me and she says, what was that? And I said, that was the presence of God. Here is exactly what she said. That felt like home. That's what she said. This lady who had told me to take my religious stuff and basically shove it somewhere. Now she's saying, when you prayed for me, it felt like home. What's that all about? You know, there's a passage in the Bible that says this. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has set 
eternity in the hearts of every human being. You know what that means? Every human being from from like a, a believing, devoted Christian to the most atheistic person and everyone in, in between, we are hardwired for eternity. Deep down in here, there is an undeniable, inescapable longing for eternity. You can't get away from it. It's in there. And then the world comes along and it says, well, if you have this cell phone or if you buy this car or if you have this many followers on social media, it will satisfy the longing of your heart and none of it can do it because you can't satisfy an eternal longing with something that's temporary. And the more you try, the more messed up your life gets. Drugs. My Uncle Bill still to this day holds the New Zealand record for the longest addiction to methadone in New Zealand's history. Methadone is what they give you when you come off things like opium or heroin, and they give you this as an alternative to keep you from having withdrawal symptoms. So my Uncle Bill was an opium addict and an opium dealer in Australia in the 1960s, He got deported back to New Zealand and he came home, spent some time in jail and they put him on methadone. They were giving him such a big dose of methadone that it was enough, three times a week they were giving him a big enough dose that it would knock out a horse. He kept all the glass glass jars that they took the stuff out of. He had three big 40-gallon drums full of these glass jars in his garage. His arms were all fat and purple from all the injections that they'd put into his arms over, he he was addicted to the stuff for nearly 30 years. When I became a believer, I wanted every person in my family to find what I had found in Jesus. I wanted them to feel free. I wanted them to have hope. I wanted them to have that answer, that longing answered. And I was praying about my Uncle Bill. And you know what the Lord said to me? He said, write him a letter. Did I tell you about this at the camp? I wrote him a letter. Back when you used to do this thing with paper and a pen, and then you would fold it up and you'd do this really disgusting thing. You'd put it in an envelope and you'd lick it. And then you'd put it in this magic box and it would disappear and pop out somewhere else. It was the craziest thing. I wrote him a letter telling him how I'd found Jesus. Do you know what happened to my Uncle Bill? He read my letter. God touched his heart. He got down on his knees beside his bed and he gave his heart to King Jesus. Then do you know what he did? He told my Auntie Robin, who was his de facto partner, she was, um, how do I put it politely? She was an exotic dancer. Okay, you know, those sort that don't like use many garments. He told her and she did the same. And then you know what he did? He had to go for his methadone and he said to the doc, he went to the doctor and he said, no more methadone. You know what the doctor said to him? He says, if you don't take the methadone, the withdrawals are gonna kill you. Here's what he said. He said, I'd rather live free than die. I'd rather die free than live addicted. And he came off methadone with no withdrawals. 
And you know what he did for the next 25 years of his life? He and my auntie Robin, they got married and they spent the next 25 years of their life with reaching out to the craziest people, man. They were reaching out to gang members and drug dealers and homeless people and street-walking prostitutes. Their house was always full of all these people and they kept telling them the same thing. There is an answer for your longing. You can't escape this. You, when, when people are taking drugs, often they're just trying to anesthetize this feeling that something's not quite right. When people are diving into this relationship and that relationship, they're trying to anesthetize this feeling that something's not quite right, that I was made for something more than what I've been told. I told you this at the camp if you were there. Psalm 139, verse 14 through 16. What's this all about? Bible verse. Oh, I like that. Psalm 139, 14 through 16. Psalm. I like that. I like that. That should, that should catch on. Listen to this. Psalm 139, 14 through 16. King David said of the Lord, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I was not hidden from you when I was knit together in the secret place. Your eyes saw my body before I was even fully formed and you planned all the days of my life before I was even born. There is an answer for your longing, but you can't find it anywhere else. You were made. You're not evolved. You were created by a God who loved you enough to watch over the purpose of knitting you together. And not only did he knit you together, but he planned the exact moment in history where you would live and he made you fit for purpose. You weren't made for a time when cell phones weighed three kilograms and were half a meter long. You were made for this time where you carry the, the internet around in your pocket. You weren't made to live in a time where the fastest thing you could travel on was a horse. You're made for the time where we get in metal tubes and go 11 kilometers up in the sky at 1,000 kilometers an hour and land on the other side of the world in half a day. And goodness knows what we'll be doing in 20 years' time. You were made for this time. God looked at you, not just as a group. He looked at you individually and said, I have made you on purpose for right now. And you know what? He doesn't just say, I made you. He says, I've got plans for you. And those plans are a high calling, a wild adventure, and a life of surrender. I understood that a bunch of you, I heard that a bunch of you stood on the altar last week and literally held your shoes in the air as a sign of surrender. You know what I think God wants to do today? I think he wants to start to put the fire of his presence and his anointing on the surrender of last week. Why? Because he's got a young person for every single chair that this church owns. Every one of these spare seats, he's got a young person that he wants to sit on that chair. A young person right now that is out there and they don't know that there's an answer to their longing. 
Because guess what? And I say this to you, like, I mean, I, this, this is going to sound like I'm just trying to be a sentimental old man. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not very, you ask my son, I'm not sentimental at all. I love you. I set my boat. Like my boat. I really love you guys. You go, oh. No, it's not that kind of thing. It's like I love you and there's this fiery furnace that I want to tell you, you are, you are loved and you were created and the enemy wants to rip you off and destroy your life. But the other thing I want to tell you tonight is this, it's not all about you. I, I just want to come to youth group tonight and have a really good time and maybe, maybe I'll just feel like that was pretty, it's not all about you. It's about the ones that God wants to put in those spare seats. It's about the ones where, where God can take a group like this and he can turn it, just one, one church youth group, he can turn it into what last week looked like and beyond. We had, to, we had to bail out of our church building. We used to have to use the intermediate school hall next door because we started an outreach into the intermediate school and within three weeks there are 150 11 and 12-year-olds that got saved. It's not all about you. It's all about Jesus and it's all about what Jesus wants to do in you so that he can go through you. So last week you stood here and I'm so glad that you did. I watched you do it at camp too. I've got pictures. I took sneaky pictures of altar calls at the camp when you guys were standing at the front surrendering your lives. And you stood here last week and you surrendered your lives by holding up your shoes and standing on holy ground. And now the same God that created you says, now I want to start and put my power on your life. I want to put my fire on your life. I want to take you and I want to use your life. And, and when, when you let me answer the longing of your heart and when you let me use you for what you're created to do, that's the way that you get rid of this feeling of things just being not quite right. You were made for something. I sat praying for you the other day. I, I pray early in the morning. And I sat in the front room of my house the other morning at four o'clock and I was praying for you lot. You know, while I was praying for you, you might not think this is terribly impressive. I thought it was impressive. I saw four shooting stars while I was praying for you. I like shooting stars. I've never seen four in one morning before. I was impressed. I came away and I said, Lord, I'm impressed. That was pretty good. You put on a good show. God wants to make himself known to every young person in the Hawke's Bay. Every single one. You might say, God takes no prisoners. That's right, he takes no prisoners. He sets prisoners free. If you're addicted to something that's damaging your life, he can break it like he broke my uncle's addiction. I just want to tell you one last thing. This is a little weird. I wasn't planning to tell you this. I was with a group of young adults in Hamilton the other week. And I was talking to this young lady, and while I was talking to her, she just she was just she was wearing short sleeves. And I could see she literally had hundreds of self-inflicted cut marks all up and down her arm. They were all healed up, but there were hundreds of them all the way down. Most of them going this way, but there were some going this way as well. Isn't it an amazing thing 
that many young people that are a part of this generation have been so filled with confusion and doubt and fear that they even come to the place where they would do something like that. I prayed for her and it reminded me of a time when I was in Florida. And I was preaching in Florida and a young lady came up to me when I gave an altar call like I'm gonna give in a minute. And she stood on the altar call and I was roaming around praying and the youth leaders were roaming around praying. And she came up to me after about five minutes and she pulled a Kleenex tissue out of her pocket and she, hand, she put it in my hand. And I said, what's this? And she unwrapped it and inside was her, was her razor blade. And I knew exactly what it was all about. But I said to her, I said, honey, what's that all about? And she didn't say anything. She just pulled her sleeves up and there were all the cut marks. The signs of despair and self-hatred and self-destruction. And I said, why are you giving this to me? And she said, as I've come to the front and as I've been prayed for tonight, for the first time in my life, I don't hurt Only Jesus can do that. If you want to get from where you are right now, which is good, to where Jesus wants to take you, which will blow your mind, guess what? You're going to need more of Him. You don't just need more more hype. You don't just need more smoke machine. I'm not saying those things are bad. You don't just need more games. You don't just need, you need more of Him. And you know what the Bible makes it clear? When there's a sacrifice, Lord Jesus, here I am, holding my shoes up in the air, surrendering my whole life. When there's a sacrifice, that's where the fire of His presence and His love can fall. 